Imagine just trying to fit in, be a part of the group, and taking drugs at age 8. The All Eyes on Me podcast is the true story of Vincent Lilly, his struggle with drugs, addiction, recovery, and onward to hope and health. Be ready to experience another world. Here's author Kevin Zadrill and Vincent Lilly. This is our first podcast, um, and we'll be with you for the next 12 weeks. Uh, discussing in more details uh, the various topics uh, throughout the uh, life's journey of uh, Vincent. Um, And we're going to touch on a lot of topics. Uh, We're going to kind of go through everything from addictions and trauma, sobriety, his growing up in school, uh, family, uh, gangs, incarcerations, and then hope and health and healing um, and purpose. So I think that uh, it might help for those who haven't yet read the book that uh, kind of bring to light how Vincent and I met, which is sort of in a very unique way that for me really speaks to the uh, the coming together that was by chance or fate, but it uh, basically came about when I was um, going one day to uh, Pan Am Boxing and I've been going there for about nearly 15 years. And this one particular day when I got there, uh, it was a little bit early and there was nobody else in the gym. So I came down to where the workout area was to do the uh, class. And uh, the only other person in there was Vincent in the far corner kind of wrapping up. So I just had intentions to kind of walk past and go to my spot where I was gonna do the same. Uh, but the way Vincent is and the way I learned, he just kind of leaped up, reached out his hand, introduced himself. uh, And we got to talking and he just sort of grabbed my attention, um, started talking about his life. And uh, I think at that time he had been sober six or seven months um, and started to kind of enlighten me more in his life. So, uh, just so happened that over the course of the next few weeks, I kept running into him now at uh, the workouts and giving me a little more insight into his life. Um, and the more and more I heard about it, I started to think, what a story to tell. And I think what really hit home to me was what his intentions were now. He'd been at uh, Pan Am Place next door residing there. And his, his goals uh, were to go to schools, uh, talk to the children, um, talk to communities and their groups, uh, do men's groups, and really to give back to community. Um, so one of those times I just approached him in the gym and said, if you'd be interested in me uh, writing his life journey. And uh, he was enthusiastic about it. And so that sort of brought us together. And we spent the last two years um, spending a lot of time together, gathering all the information and putting together a, a beautiful book that we're very proud of. And I think it really serves well what he's bringing to everybody now that's involved with his life. So I'm really proud to be here today to start now this next journey with him for the next 12 weeks. So thanks. Thanks for being here, Vincent. Thank you. Um, a lot of feedback I've gotten already from readers have dealt with um, their own struggles with addiction 
or family that they have involved with addictions and they're looking for hope. They're looking for help. They're looking for something to connect with. And I think what really struck me when we were discussing um, your book was the age when you first used your first drug. And I, I found that really eye-opening. What age was it that you had had your first experience with, with a drug? Um, I lived, uh, when I was living in St. Norbert in Winnipeg here, um, I got introduced to, to marijuana when I was eight years old. So eight years old, that would have put you in grade three. Yeah. That, that's profound. That's, that's three years out, outside of kindergarten. Yeah, that's, uh, it definitely puts it into a different perspective when you, when you talk about the, the, the grade, uh, grade level. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it was uh, pretty interesting considering the fact that uh, what, the reason why that kind of transpired is because of the fact that my, my brothers had some friends that were drug dealers and they sold weed and they were living in our basement at our house. So uh, basically they were the ones who kind of like uh, gave it to me and my brother at the time when we were, he was nine, I was eight and uh, pretty much just kind of like got us high. And so we didn't know any better. Right. Yeah. Not, not at that age. You wouldn't. So your, your brothers at that time were, a few years older than you. Uh, yeah, my oldest brother is nine years older than me. Okay. So and then the second oldest, I'm the youngest of four boys. And so I have two brothers that are older. And then I have a brother that's only 18 months older than me. So do you think that that started um, the kind of process for you for incorporating drugs on a more consistent basis in your life? Did it normalize it? I think uh, for me, what I've noticed is that it wasn't necessarily so much the drug that it got attached to the situation is the fact that of the feeling that I got from being uh, kind of felt accepted by the older guys because I grew up without a father, right? So I was gravitating towards older males, mm-hmm. probably looking for, you know, guidance or whatever you want to call it, right? That's right. I noticed that uh, it was more about the person, the people that were doing it, that were giving it to me, that kind of had more of an effect on me than the actual drug. Because mm-hmm. then what happened all, uh, as the years went on is I started to gravitate more and more towards older males, you know, obviously, you know, looking for um, acceptance or whatever guidance or whatever from someone like a father figure, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, just so happens that the ones that I gravitated towards were always attached to drugs. And so, you know, in order to feel cool or under peer pressure, I would, you know, get involved in that kind of stuff just because of what I would benefit from it in the other ways. Yeah. So that basically then that acceptance was the most important aspect uh, for you in your life. Um, Yeah. And, and then you just kind of continue to, to seek that sort of friendship. Yeah. And I always seem, it always seemed to always be attached to males that weren't uh, doing very positive things. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mind that because 
I notice now I notice now that I'm the type of person that I'm an attention seeker. And I was always the type back then that I didn't care whether it was positive or negative. As long as it was attention, I would take it. Yeah. So do you think then, um, based on the, the people you were hanging around with, um, they always say marijuana is sort of the gateway drugs to harder drugs. And is that sort of what you found happening over the course of years then? Um, yeah, I guess, because I mean, uh, yeah, that's basically, I guess what happened. Cause I mean, uh, I'm sure if, uh, if there was a person that was a drug addict or something like that, if they, their first drug that they tried was, a a really hard drug, I'm not too sure what kind of effect that would have on the person, whether they would have really liked it or got scared away. Mm-hmm. So for me, yeah, it was that's how it didn't work with the with the marijuana. Then I kind of did obviously start from there, and then it did progressively get more and more as the years went on. Yeah, and it, it so it seems like the that acceptance was the bigger part of it all, trying to find that. Um, but interesting when we were speaking uh, for the book that we found that. Um, it was crack that was sort of your drug of choice once you got more entrenched. And it, it was quite revealing in terms of how it changed your mindset um, and, and your actions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I think uh, when it comes to that specific drug, I think what I, what really grabbed me for that is the fact that uh I'm an addict and I'm the type of addict that, well, I guess there's a lot of addicts that like the same type of thing, but I like instant gratification. Right. And so with the instant gratification with, with the smoking, uh, smoking crack, it's basically like instant. As soon as you, you smoke it, you feel it. Hmm. And so uh, I think that's what really grabbed me was because, you know, I, I wanted to get that feeling. And when I was growing up and doing the starting with the drinking, I, I figured out my power with the drinking by realizing that the faster that I drank alcohol, the faster I could get over that uncomfortable feeling in those settings, in those uh, settings around people. Hmm. So with the crack cocaine is basically the same kind of thing, but it only it, it was a lot faster. Like when you smoke it, you get it, you get the feeling right instantly. So and that's what grabbed me because that's what I wanted, right? And I know we, we talked a lot in the book that under the influence of it, um, you would do things that you would never, as a person sober, even contemplate doing. Yeah, that's the thing is that uh, the the drug literally gives you, like when it, when, once it gets a hold of you, it gives you everything that you want. And when it comes to getting everything that you want, you'll, you really turn to the person that will do anything to get more of it. And it really puts you into a state of desperation, especially when you have some and then you run out. Um, it turns you into a completely different person and be, you're basically willing to do anything for it. And for you, that meant, you know, uh, crime, right? It meant stealing, robberies. Uh, and a lot of that was to kind of fuel um your crack use yeah 
Because, like, when it comes to, like, the robberies, um, when I did my first robbery, I obviously was, like, like I say, when I, if I was to try, if I was, to, I would never, ever have the guts to do a robbery completely sober. I'm not on drugs or not on alcohol. I would never have the guts to do that. But yet this drug gave me that, like basically made it that I was crazy enough to actually do that. So it, it does change you as a person. It changes you in terms of your perspective of life around you. Um, and I think what it is, if anything, I think it just uh, deletes the, the thought of consequence. Right? Hmm. Because, I mean, you don't even think about what could what could happen. You're just thinking about the drug and that's it and the feeling that it's going to give you when you get it. Mm. And so, yeah, basically that's what it does. It just pretty much deletes the thought of consequence. So did you find that, you know, throughout the years, um, the, you know, your use of, of drugs and so forth and trying to break out, I know that there was multiple times we discussed in your book of trying to break what you call the cycle. Um, but that cycle kept bringing you back each and every time. Yeah, I think, uh, I think all addicts go through that cycle because of the fact that, uh, what's, but what's truly keeping them stuck in that cycle is those traumas and stuff that they had been through, um, growing up or whatever. I think that's what truly keeps them stuck there because, uh, yeah, you just, until you start to address those issues, you know, it's like, it's like a, it's like a hamster wheel, right? You just get on and you just keep running and running and running. It's never going to change. The path is, the course is never going to change until you start to address those other issues that you have. And, uh, yeah, so that's basically what kept happening until I actually struck that chord. And for you, that was that was a lot of years. At thirty, I'd say um, age thirty was I think was the was the age when I was in prison, um, and I convinced the counselor to get a hold of my father, which is someone that I had never talked to in my life. He left when I was four, and uh, so yeah, and then he, she got her him on the phone for me, and I basically just apologized to him. Or he, I didn't apologize to him. I, I told him that I forgave forgave him for for sexually abusing for the sexual abuse, and then basically let go of all that anger and started to take responsibility for all my actions. And, and that was a significant turning point um, within your life. Um, but even then, it still it wasn't just an instant change. Um, there was still that cycle that you were trying to break out of. And you mentioned it in the book of, you know, people, places, things. And until you got also out of that environment, um, you kept kind of falling back into it. Yeah, definitely. And it sounded like when we were talking about it, that really it's a change of your environment, where you're living at, the people you associate with. Um, which kind of helps give you some different grounding than you may have had before. 
you find that um, with addictions, it's always there, right? It's never, it's never gone. Yeah, it's like, I mean, even once you start to deal with everything and start to, you know, sober up and uh, it's still always there, but it's just easier for you to understand, understand it and to just know that what it truly has to do with is that we're all, we're all born good people and uh, we all accumulate all that baggage along the way. And that's ultimately what distracts us and takes us away from our true self. And once you get sober, the longer and longer you go and the more uh, personal development you work on, um, the closer you get to yourself, the real true self. And the closer you get to your real self, that's when it's easier to to um, just be a real person. So I know in the book you mentioned that when you're sober, the reality of everything you've done to yourself and to the people around you hits home. And that becomes overwhelming to deal with. And that's often a turning point too, right? Where you're grounded enough to accept it or you slide back. Yeah. But that's the, yeah, that's the point that I was trying to make is the fact that uh, we often beat ourselves up so much for the things that we, the baggage that we accumulate along the way, the things that we do, people that we hurt, um, we beat ourselves up for that and we, and that ultimately keeps us stuck if we can't just uh, realize what it, what, the, what the true meaning is. And the true meaning is that we're all born good people and that we would never have done those things had it been for the drugs or, you know, these things that, uh, these traumas that cause us to lose sight of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's such an important piece of it. And I think for, someone who's struggling with addictions and the family around them feels so helpless to do something, but it's within themselves, right? It's that trauma to deal with and coming to terms, coming as you found within yourself, that solace after your discussion with your father, that pointed you in the direction now to start that healing process. Yeah. So that's, that's part of what we want to talk about throughout, you know, the next 12 weeks is that whole healing process and how you came to terms with it and what you've done to, to make those hurdles. And I think an important piece is going to be that it's not just one attempt or two or three or four, but it's just about never giving up. Yeah. Well, that's basically what it's all about because the truth of the matter is that you're you're never going to just do it and get it on the first try. And honestly, I would say that you wouldn't want to just do it and get it on the first try because every time that you do it, you get a little bit smarter and a little bit stronger. And uh, like every time you attempt the, the, the sobriety and then you, and then you fail because failure is a part of life, you know, like you, what are you going to say? You're just going to get sober once and that's it. And it's over. You're really not going to fully appreciate the whole journey if you don't 
if you don't have those failures of every time that you try and try and you fall down, you're not going to really fully appreciate Mm -hmm. it once you do succeed. Yeah. That's that's a really valid point, right? That I think for a lot of people struggling with addictions, they don't see it like that. And um, it's, it's a learning process too, right? It's, it's a change of lifestyle is what it is because that, that drug use is who they are on a daily basis. Yeah. And that's the issue is that uh, the addicts often, they attach all the things that they've done once they start to become attached, uh, addicted to the drugs, they attacked all the things that they've done and said, and they try and define, they try and let it define them and let, let it, they think that that's who they are, but really that's not who you are. Yeah. I think the most profound part in the book was always, as you just said earlier, we're, we're all born good people and we can never lose sight of that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I wanted to thank you today for our first podcast. I think it kind of sets the pathway for our journey over the next 12 weeks, and we have lots of good stuff to discuss and kind of uh, get more involved into the details of the book and your, and your life's journey. And um, I think our intentions have always been to kind of spread that word among people and, and, and be there to help them, be there to, as a support yeah for sure and i really like the the idea of the podcast because of the fact that obviously the people in the united states or even people in canada that haven't met me uh they can put a face in the list to the book if they've read it and uh just some of my experiences will be a little bit more real to them after reading the book or hearing the story straight from my mouth and so i just it's pretty exciting to be able to to give them a little bit more of the more depth into the book absolutely and for those that haven't read it or read it it's you've opened yourself up and you laid it out there it's uh, very humbling to have been part of that and um the honesty in in your your words uh, it's so apparent and it's very real um and i think it's going to resonate with anyone who uh reads it so Appreciate it very much, and we'll be back for our uh, continuation. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Vincent.